We're happy to have he and his wife here with us. They were in Angola yesterday, not literally in Angola. You've been there before, but this time they were visiting. And uh, then they came on the Indian village this morning by way of kinder from my way. I didn't, I didn't make it clear enough that you could get from my way to, to Indian Village without going to kinder. But Google didn't understand that, evidently. So, But they made it. Thank God. Come on, Brother Doyle. Yeah. So thrilled to see Floyd. How many years was it go, Floyd, when you walked out of Angola? 28 years ago. Not quite. In there for 28. But when did you come out, when you come to our office? 2001, he walked in our office from Angola. And he said, I was sent here because y'all will assist or help me with services, is what I'm told. And he was my first one to see out of Angola. And he was just as nice as he could be. And uh, we told him, yes, what did he want to do? He wanted to go truck driving. We said, we can do that. $4,900 in four weeks. We could send you to school, and in three weeks you would have a check. Your first boss was a truck, was owned a logging company. And he wanted to take a chance on Floyd. I said, do you know anyone that could hire you? Because you're going to have to have a job. He said, I think I do. And he got a, a drive. He, we sent him to truck driving school. He got the d- degree. And he went to, for a logging company. But it doesn't matter who they are. But you went drove for a logging company. They took a chance on him. And he was a wonderful employee. And then he come back. He had to check with us occasionally and come back, and we had to do paper. We had to keep a, a follow-up and a paper trail on him. And he had done so well that we contacted Doug. Doug Abear was a DA then, and we contacted Doug and said we have someone that would be a uh, inspirational, motivation speaker. We told him what had happened, how he was being rehabilitated, and he was going to church. And God had changed his life, and he could tell the boys, and he's going to tell you his story. It is awesome. And he could be a speaker for those that were in jail. His picture, he went and spoke for him with the DA. His picture was in the Louisiana DA um, bulletin that came out. And we put it on our bulletin board. Doug Abaird put it on his bulletin board in the DA's office. And he has been, what I can tell you, a beautiful story of how God changed a life. I'm thrilled. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Gail. Praise God. So glad to be here this morning. Um. God is a uh, miraculous working God. Uh, He loves to turn things around. He uh, turned uh, cursing into a blessing. Um, 
he he causes this planet that we're on to tilt on its axis and to spin and it gives us uh, our seasons and then it loops around the sun once a year he he loves to turn things around and uh he can turn the world around and if he can turn the world around he can turn our world around if we'll let him if we'll let him but i'm going to have my wife to uh sing you know joshua he sent the praise team out first and there's nothing like the the worship team that brings in the presence and the power of God, we create an atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to begin to minister. You, you know, in the congregation, you know, when you lift up the name of Jesus, the Holy Ghost comes in and begins to minister. You don't even have to ask for anything. Uh, the Holy Ghost knows your situation and begins to minister to you as you minister to Him. I have my wife, lovely wife, to sing. Keep talking. Um, we came from Angola uh, last night, and there was a young man came up to me, and he says, "Do you remember me?" And I said, "No." I baptized him when he was 15 years old at OCC. Wachita Parish Prison. He had just received two life sentences. And now he's 21. And he heard that I was coming. And he said, I want to be there. I want to see him. And I had him to come up and sit at the table with us. And to eat with us. And... I'm going to stay in contact with him. You know, it's, you know, Jesus called us to be fishers of men. And if you're, if you're a true fisherman, you want to catch the big fish. And that's where they're at. That's where the big fish are. In prison. And Jesus come to save sinners. He didn't come to save the self-righteous. He didn't come to save the rich. He come to save sinners, uh, those that are lost and downtrodden, those that are cast away. I'm so grateful. You know, he so loved the world. You know, if he had only loved, he might have sent Michael or Gabriel but because he so loved he came himself because he so loved us I'm not going to allow anybody I'm going myself and offer myself usually a king asks his servants to offer their life but the king of kings the lord of lords he said, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And once we come to the knowledge of that, we should not perish. Once coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ.
Thank you, Jesus. When I went in that day to the uh, labor force, there was a guy just before me. And the sister, she said, as I walked in, she says, oh, my goodness, I'm glad you walked in. This guy had a terrible attitude, and he frightened me. And I thought, my goodness, now I got, to, I got to tell her about me. She was frightened about him, and I knew him. And he really wasn't no problem. But I thought, I got to tell her. She was upset about him. I says, my goodness, but um, the Lord was with me that day. Thank God. And um, he has never forsaken me. He's never left me. If you will, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read 12, 13, and 14. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confidence by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Father, in the name of Jesus. Bless your word. Let it go out and achieve that which you'd have it to do. In Jesus' name. I would like to title this, Things Happen. Things Happen. The Apostle Paul said, I would you should understand that the things which happen unto me, the things that happened unto he was wrongfully arrested, wrongfully beated, beaten, wrongfully thrust in prison, and illegally held in prison. And he was a missionary. He was a church planner. And he went all over doing missionary work, seeking to preach Jesus where he had never been preached before. And now he's thrown in prison. And so the intent of this was to shut his ministry down. And But God can take the weapon of the devil and turn it into the vehicle to the furtherance of the gospel. And it doesn't matter what, you can make bad decisions, you can make wrong choices, you can uh, do evil or whatever. When you turn your heart to God and begin to serve Him, He can take all of your mess and turn it to good. He can turn the cursing into a blessing. It doesn't matter. The devil may do a work in your life for 20 years. Have you in bound, bonds, and then God can take that situation 
and turning it into good. That's why we say in Pentecost that only the, the devil is man. Because he's an invested in your life destruction and turmoil. And God takes the turmoil and the messed up, wrecked up life and he turns it into good. For the furtherance of the gospel. And it didn't have the intended effect that was thought. He says, brethren, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. It didn't have its intended effect. What the devil wanted to do was to steal, kill, and destroy you. But Jesus come that we might have life and more abundant. And where sin abound, grace did much more abound. God can minister unto our need. And he says, it's fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifested in the palace. And in all other places. So he had on the Roman chains. Shackle and chains. But they don't mention nothing about those chains. They mention about the bonds of Christ. The bonds of Christ was more visible than the Roman chains. And he was a prisoner of Christ. How can you be bound by less? When you're bound by greater. He was bound by Christ. Which was greater than the Roman Empire. Was greater than their chains. So so how can this be? How can you see um, that the bonds of Christ. Are in his life. When he's in prison. And he's in chains. And everybody looks at him and they don't say he's a Roman prisoner. They said he is a prisoner of Christ. He's in the bonds of Christ. And the reason why is it because Christ was in him and that was more power than the chains that were on him. And when they viewed his life, they didn't see the effect. That the chains were supposed to have on his life. They seen the effect of the bonds of Christ in his life. So how can you be bound by less when you're bound by greater? He says, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confidence by my bonds. They became confident. By his bonds in Christ, though he was in prison and had chains on him, they seen that it had not the effect that the power of God and the grace of God ministered to him and held him up above his situation, above what he was going through. And so they waxed comfort. Things happen. And sometimes things happen Because of your bad decision, my bad decision, wrong choices. Or you may have had evil intent. But God can take it and turn it to good. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
God can take the vehicle of the enemy and turn it into a vehicle. He turned the Roman Empire, he turned the chains into a, a vehicle, and Paul's ministry became greater while he was incarcerated than when he was free. And we're reading the effect of it right now. The power of his ministry. Things happen. And these are the things which happened to me. In 1974, I was arrested for first degree murder. And when they booked me, they said, boy, you're going to burn in the electric chair for this. And they put me in a cell. It was March 21st, 1974. And it was freezing cold and there was a, a blanket tied to the bars and the wind was just gushing in and the blanket was whipping from the uh, wind. And I thought, well, that blanket's not doing no good up there. So I took it down and I, and I was laid on my left shoulder and I covered myself up and I turned my, turned my face to the wall and I began to weep because I knew the truth. I was raised up in a Pentecostal church. The Lord had called me to preach when I was 16 years old at Tioga. And for two years, I was very active in the church. I was the first one to volunteer for any service, to cut the grass, to vacuum anything. I was always the first one. But after two years, I became distracted and I became unplugged. From Jesus. And I begin to stray, you know, and, you know, sin will carry you further than you want to go. And keep you longer than you want to stay and have you to pay a price that you don't want to pay. And two years I was in this prison. I was 20 years old. And as I laid there and I was thinking, how did I get here? You know, John 3 said, you should not, after coming to the knowledge of the truth, you should not perish. You should not miss heaven. After you come to the knowledge of the truth, you should not. You should not. And there I lay weeping. How could I have allowed this to happen? I love the Lord. How could I allow myself to slip away? And as I laid there wiping the tears, I noticed now that there's a light shining through the bars just over my shoulder, right on the wall, right in front of my face. And I turned and I looked at it and it said, I turned 21 in prison, serving life without parole. And I knew about the handwriting on the wall in Babylon, how God had extended forth his hand and uh, wrote a judgment against that king and his life was required of him that very night. So I thought God had washed his hands of me. I thought God had passed sentence upon me. And I began to doubt in the love of God. I began to doubt in the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I doubted in his love, I eliminated hope out of my life because there's no hope in this life. There's no hope in this world. There's no hope in a new president or a new government. There's only hope in Jesus Christ because this world is cursed. 
It's cursed. Even the earth moans and groans for deliverance. It's inbound. It's bondage. So how can we expect this life, this world, to give us hope? The Bible says that we're in this world, but not of it, because this world has no hope. But we have hope in Jesus Christ. But I thought God had washed his hands of me, and I doubted in his mercy. I didn't understand that the devil condemns and the Lord convicts that he tries to draw us to the uh, repentance. And so I decided I have nothing to lose. Man was talking about giving me the electric chair, and I felt like God had washed his hands of me. I have nothing to lose. So I decided I'm not going to take nothing from anybody. Anybody looks at me wrong, anybody says anything that I don't like, I'm just going to conk them in the head. And they let this guy in, in front of my cell. They let him in, he turned around and began to beat on the door, and it woke me up out of my sleep. And that's the only time I had peace of mind when I was asleep, not thinking about my situation. And... He woke me up, and I jumped out of my bed, and I ran my hands through the bars. I wanted to catch him by his throat, but I couldn't quite reach him, and I I caught him by the collar of his shirt. I ripped his shirt off his back. It was dark, and he didn't know what attacked him. He hit the floor and started crawling, and the guy in the next cell said, man, you need to come on down here. That little dude is crazy. Because I'd already been in so many fights. Because I, I decided that, uh, you know, if anybody says anything, you know, I, I said, even if it's not worth fighting over, that I should tell him something. Then I would think, well, if I tell him something, he may tell me something. Then I'm going to tell him, and then we're going to wind up fighting anyway. So I just skipped all that and said, conk. And uh, so they said, he's crazy. Because it wasn't worth it. And... So the next morning, I get up and I go into the bullpen, and this guy that woke me up is laying on this table, and he's just snoring away. And I stepped up on the bench and then on to to the table, and I jumped up in the air as high as I could. I stumped this poor guy right in the middle of his gut. He drawled up his knees, trying to get air back into his lungs. I caught him by the hair of the head, And I stuck my hand under his leg and I lifted him up and I tried to throw him off the table, but he landed at the end of the table. I kicked him in the back of the head. He hit the floor. I jumped down there to continue fighting with him, but he lifted his hands. He didn't want no more. And so I sat across from him. I said, look, you woke me up last night and you think you're going to sleep today? Not going to happen. If you go to sleep 10 times, we're going to have 10 fights. And so I sat across from him, and every once in a while he would nod his head like that, and then he would look up, and there I was, still there. And I got in one fight after another. And they had this guy that was, he escaped out of uh, De Quincey. And he had went down the railroad tracks and got to uh, Glenmore and robbed the bank there. He got caught up, busted, and they brought him to Alexandria. And he was a professional boxer. And he, his jaw looked like a, a, a rock waller would like to have his jaw. 
And he and I got in a fight. And I've I never been whipped like that before in my life. He had knots across my head, forehead. And I knew I couldn't let this guy hit me in the face. And so I stayed down real low and kept my fist under my eyes. And finally he decided that my head was harder than his knuckles. And he reached out and grabbed me and pulled me to him. At this point, I'm all swole up, black and blue, and bleeding. I haven't even scratched him yet. And when he pulled me to him, I started chewing on this fella. And all of a sudden, now he wants to let me go. But I wouldn't let him let me go. I kept chewing on this fella. And finally, we just wrestled around, fought around, and finally, we both gave out. And we were standing across from one another, and he was going like this from whipping me, and I was going like this from being whipped. And he says, what do you want to do? I said, well, you challenged me like a man, and I accepted like a man. We can shake them or we can swing them. He said, let's shake them. And I was glad. And finally, they, they come, and they decided they want to put me in isolation. And my uh, grandmother and grandfather, who raised me from two months old, they were brought to Alexandria because uh, they were trying to get me to plead guilty to uh, second-degree murder. They decided to drop it down from first-degree murder to second-degree murder. And I, the uh, lawyer turned on the recorder. And I told him, I said, if you don't turn that off, I'm going to hit you the top of the head with it. And my grandparents said, no, son, they're trying to help you. I said, no, they're not. I said, you take my grandmother and grandfather back home. So they put me back in my cell. And I went to thinking about it. Knowing how my grandmother loves me, she could have had a heart attack. And so I sent word to the warden that I wanted to talk to the warden. He came back. And it was a long conference room. Uh, conference room had a conference table as long as these pews. And I sat at the end of it. And he sat to the side of it. And so I told him, I said, look, I, I don't like you and you don't like me, but that's irrelevant. I said, I'm 21 and I'm man enough to stand up to the consequences of my actions. And I'm letting you know right now, if you mess with my family again or anybody else, they're going to get hurt. And so he slammed his hand on the table and cursed and said, I don't have to hear this. Well, I came out of a sitting position dove across the table and caught the warden by the throat and I began to choke him. He broke loose from me and he went out the door running. I got off the table and I was chasing the warden. They say that the warden runs the prison but here I was, I was running the warden and I chased him down the hallway and that's when I came to my senses what I was doing. Because I had this short fuse and I would explode and uh, think about it later. And so here I was chasing him. I said, my goodness, I'm in here for first degree murder. I done choked the warden down in the seat, chasing him down the hallway. Uh, they can kill me and uh, no big deal. They'd get away with it. And while I was chasing I said, how can I get myself out of this situation while I'm chasing him? And I says. I, I'm not going to back down. So I chased him into the uh, jailer's office. And there was a jailer, two trustees cutting hair. 
And he ran up in there and he stood like this and he looked at the ceiling. And so I walked around in front of him the whole time trying to figure out how to get myself out of this situation. And I says, you walk around here like you're bad, but you're nothing. And what I said concerning my family goes. I turned around to the jailer trying to appear that I was in charge. I said, put me back in my cell. And so as I walked out and I turned and looked, that warden is still standing like this, looking at the ceiling. I don't know if you, uh, y'all coon hunt here in any village, but in Oakdale, where I'm from, they coon hunt. And when the dogs get hot on the coon's trail, they put him up a tree. I had put the warden up the tree that day. And he didn't want to come down till I was gone. And, but just like it said on the wall, I turned 21 in prison, serving life without parole. They sent seven police officers to come and get me and handcuffed and shackled me and brought me to the court. And the judge sentenced me just like it said on the wall. I turned 21 in prison, serving life without parole. And usually when you get sentenced by the court, it's a month or so before they get everything done, the paperwork, the sentencing minutes, the process, within one hour, they came and got me and took me to Angola. I got to Angola, and they brought me to the booking office. And they said, where is his sentencing minutes? They said, we don't have them. They said, we cannot accept him here unless you have the sentencing minutes. And this officer reached in his pocket and put out a little piece of paper and hand to him. He opened it up. And he looked at me and looked at him and says, we'll take him. I don't know what was on that little piece of paper. I still wonder today what was on that piece of paper. But they took me without the sentencing minutes of the court. And Angola was the bloodiest prison in the nation. There were more people stabbed and killed in Angola than any prison in the nation. And I, I went down to uh, the main prison. There were people that were stabbed before breakfast, before dinner, before supper. This was 24-7, seven days a week. This was continuous going on. And I realized that I said, I'm not going to make it. You know, I said, I'm not going to make it. I don't have the mental capacity to wake up every morning serving life without probe. It's like waking up every morning with, a, with a, a, a monkey on your back. And he's beating on you every day, every day. You get up, he's beating on you. And I said, I'm not going to make it. And I, I wouldn't read the Bible because I thought God had washed his hands of me. I thought God it was through with me because I knew the truth. And I deserted him. I didn't know about the mercy and about the grace of God. And God, I didn't know it then, but God, later on, I realized God directed me. And I got an old Webster dictionary. Didn't have no covers on it. And I began to take words out of that dictionary. Perseverance, courageous. Loyal, trustworthy, kindness, loving. And as I read the definition of those words, I said, David, 
you're none of those. But I believe, David, if you could become the definition of those words, I think you would have the mental capacity to be able to get up every morning serving life without pro. With no money, no political connection. And so I wrote down the definition of those words. I put them in my shirt pocket. And every day I got up. As soon as I put on my clothes and my shirt, I put those words, those definitions of those words in my shirt pocket. And as I walked throughout the day, I would pull out that piece of paper and I would look. I said, well, David, you wasn't trustworthy in that situation. You wasn't kind in that situation. I didn't realize it, but I was practicing the fruits of the Spirit. You know, God is able to use anything. And, and God can be working miraculously in your life and you don't even know it. He was working in my life. I thought he had turned his back on me, but he was still working in my life and I did not even know it. And I kept practicing those words, those definitions, those words. They became, those words became my best friend. And I got strength. And I found out that rules are made for the disobedient. They're not made for the obedient. And I found out that if you obey those that have rule over you, they'll break the rules for you. And I simply, and, and the Bible says to be faithful in a few things. And I was, I, I was just faithful being at the gate when they would call us out to go in the fields to work, to pick cotton or whatever it was they had for us to do. And they would call your name. If they called your name three times and you didn't answer, they would lock you up. And they would curse you and holler at you. And I know I wouldn't have a positive response if they cursed me or put their hands on me. And I didn't want nobody to tell me nothing. So I got up there. When they called my name, I was there. And I stepped through. And at first they say, Floyd David Dole. I said, right here. And I stepped through. And then I showed that every time, every morning going to work, I was right there. Don't call my name twice. I am there. I don't want you hollering at me. I don't want you cursing me. I don't want you putting your, I'm right here. You want me to come? I'm here. And then they went from Floyd, David, Dorth. all right, Floyd. Then after a while, they said, all right, buddy, come on through. And I didn't do anything but was faithful being there at the gate and they said, step over here, buddy. And they gave me an all right job. And I was consistent. Be faithful in a few things. God is not a demanding God. He said, be faithful in a few things. And he's going to bless you with many things. And so I learned how to operate heavy equipment. I made trusty after three years on a life sentence. I, I decided this, that somebody's looking at me all the time. And then I, I began to, I walked straight. I didn't look left or right. Somebody's always watching you. 
in three years I became a trustee. In seven years on a life sentence, I became a statewide trustee. No money, no political connections, no friend, just being consistent, just being positive, just being constructive. And they were building, uh, going to put in a computer system in all three of our juvenile detention centers in Louisiana. And the contractor said it will cost $600,000 to do this job. Two men that used to work at Angola got promoted over the years and they were in Baton Rouge. And they said, hold up, wait a minute. We know a guy at Angola that's serving life without parole. He's reliable, he's dependable, he's trustworthy. We could buy a machine for $50,000, let him do the job and save the state $550,000. So that's what they did. Not Angola, but Baton Rouge headquarters, Department of Corrections, purchased, vested $50,000 in an inmate with a life sentence. Bloom where you planted Wherever you find yourself at, it doesn't matter where you're at. Wherever you can be at the end of it, bloom where you planted. Bear fruit. And, and so they bought this machine and I started traveling around the state of Louisiana and operating this trencher. It had a dozer blade up front and a backhoe up front. It was a two-seater with a hydro bore on the side. You drill under roads and a trencher in the back. And so I, I traveled all over. And I met people. And they said to me, says, you shouldn't be in prison. Yeah, I'm going to give you my number, give you my address. I want to stay in contact with you. I'd like to try to help you. And so they begin to try to help me. But then all of a sudden they disappeared. I called and they didn't answer. I wrote and they didn't write back. I didn't understand. My hopes were built up. Then they were just hit bottom. And then one day I was operating a backhoe. And this man was, had a company and he was putting in a incinerator at Angola. And he says, Doyle, every time I see you, you're operating a different piece of equipment. Man, I would love to have somebody like you working for me. When are you getting out? I said, sir, I got a life sentence. I don't know when or if I'm ever getting out. And he says, well, I hate to hear that because I would love to have you. I got this trailer here. I would let you stay in that trailer. I would get you a little truck to kick around in. Man, I hate. I said, well, wait a minute. Don't, don't wait. If you're serious, you know, you have to know the right people to get a contract job in a state prison. I said, so if you're serious, you could take my papers and go and talk to those same people. And you could get me out. He said, okay, give me your papers. So I got them for him the next day. And several weeks later, he came back and he says, Here's your papers. He says, I hate to have to tell you this, and I don't like it, but they told me to leave you alone because they have invested too much money and too much time in you, and they profit too much. And they said, leave you alone. 
And he says, I don't think it's right, but I, I got a company, I got a wife, I got kids. I, I said, you don't have to say to them, I understand. I don't blame you. But it makes me understand what happened to all those other people. And the more I thought about it, I got angry. I'd been doing so well with my angry management problem. But now the thing that I learned to help myself to do better and possibly that I might get out one day, I could hold a good job that paid good. Now the very thing is being used against me. And I became so angry and I wanted, I wanted to strike back. And I drove a truck that had 500-gallon diesel tank. And so I decided I worked seven days a week. One time I worked three years straight without a day off, seven days. That's how I did my time, working. And I drove, drove this truck with a 500-gallon diesel tank. So I decided I was going to gather up the asphalt equipment, the motor grader, the dozer, uh, all this equipment. I was going to hose it down. I was going to set fire on it. I was going to get vengeance. I was going to strike back. I, I was always a, a, a person that, you know, they say to get vengeance, that wasn't good enough for me. You know, the Bible says an eye for an eye, two for two. You cross sword. I wanted your hip bone to go along with it. And so I said, I'm going to burn all this stuff up. And on the day that I was going to do it, I heard a small, still voice say, you got to be your best friend. And, you know, friends are like elevators. They can take you up or they can take you down. And, and then the Lord made me to understand it's like my head was in a lion's mouth. And if I tried to snatch my head out, that lion was going to shut down on me. He says, you got to be easy and just slide out of that mouth. And so... That's what I did. Two years later, I was put on call out by this captain I'd never seen before. And he says, do you want to go to a Vols Parish jail? And I said, yes, but you're going to have to go high up the ladder to get me out of this place. And, well, who's against you? I said, the warden, the head supervisor, and he got two men in Baton Rouge. And he says, Okay. So he left. A few weeks later, he came back, put me on call out again. He says, we went to the Secretary of Department of Corrections. That's the man right up under the governor. And he said, you're going to be transferred. So I was transferred to a Vols Parish jail. And as soon as I got there, there was this, this guy that used to be at Angola, and he was a plumber, and he and I worked together. I worked with the backhoe, and he'd get down there, and we always talk about one day if we got out, we could get together, we could make a living together, working together. And there he was, and he was an alcoholic. He hadn't drank in a long time, but he had drank so much that he appeared like he was drunk. You know, whatever owns you marks you, and... He said, my family works here. They pulled me to here. I'm fixing to go home. And I told them they need to get you. And so that's why you're here. And then I wasn't there long and I helped the fellow with the candy machine. Filling up the candy machine. And he says, Doyle, when are you getting out? I said, sir, I'd applied to the pardon board 20 times. 
and I got an application I'm fixing to apply again. And I didn't apply it 20 times. And he says, well, I don't go to church. But my mother goes to a church in Alexandria. And it's called the POA. He said, there's somebody that's in that church that's on the pardon board. If you knew somebody could go and talk to the pastor to talk to that brother, you might could get out. And it just so happened when I was in that Pentecostal church in Franklin, Louisiana, there was a sister there. I painted her house, and she was close friends with my mother. She moved from Franklin, Louisiana to Alexander, and she was going to the POA. And I told my mother, I said, Mother, do you still talk to uh, Sister Brewer? She says, yes. You got her number? She says, yes. Would you mind calling her and asking her? So she called her, and she says, I know this, bro. I'll go. And so she went to Brother Clark. And he pulled out my records, and they told me that, my, that I was in the top four of all DOC prisoners in the state of Louisiana, what I achieved since I've been incarcerated. And he says, I believe he should time cut, time serve, release, and I'm going to push for that. So he pushed for that, but everybody else on the board didn't want to. And finally... He persuaded them to reduce my time from life without pro to 60 years with pro eligibility. And it was going to be forward to the governor. I had made two trips to the governor's office already and was denied by Buddy Romer. And so the papers were forward to uh, Governor Edwards. And it just so happened that the sheriff of Oils Parish was fishing buddies hunting buddies with Governor Edwards. A lot of just so happening. And, and his mother was a dietitian in the prison. And I became very close to the family. And the sheriff said, I'm going to go to the governor and ask him to sign your papers. And so he, came, he went and he came back. He said, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is that Governor Edwards will, said he will sign your papers. But the bad news is that he will not sign it to his last week in office. And Governor Edwards was one year into his administration. That meant I had to wait three years on the promise of a politician. And that's thin ice. And so I had my family every, every few months, every three months or so, write a letter to the governor or call the governor. You know, out of sight, out of mind. And finally, the state police called my family and says, if you call the governor one more time or write one more, we're going to arrest y'all for harassing the governor. And so we quit calling and writing the governor and just, just kept hoping. But I wasn't living for, I still wasn't living for God at that time. And, but that was um, three years later, Governor Edwards did sign my papers. And I lost somebody very special, somebody very special that was dying in my life. And I couldn't understand why God would allow a good person to die and then somebody like me live. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, would you take my life instead of theirs? And the Lord spoke to me and said, what about me? 
I died for you. And he gave me the revelation right there that if everybody in the world was saved and I was the only one lost, that he would have came down just for me, just for me. And I fell on that rock that day and I was broken. And godly sorrow produces true repentance. And I began to truly repent of my sins. And the Lord filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost right there at my prison bed, kneeling. And I became the chaplain's clerk. I was over all the religious events. And since at three years later, he signed my paper. So now it's time for me to start going to the pro board. And so I go to the pro board and everybody tells me, you're going to make it. You're fixed to be a free man. We would place you in the top four of all DOC prisoners in the state of Louisiana. What you have achieved since you've been in college. You're gonna, they've got guys going up for pro, don't have half of what you have going for yourself. And they have made it. You're going to make it. And so I went up there and I had all the confidence I'm going to make it was soaring. Then just before they called my name, it came to me, what if they don't? What if they deny? What is going to be your response? As I contemplated that walking up there, there were three of them, and one of them jumped up and screamed at me. You shouldn't be here. You should have got the electric chair. And I don't care, Governor Edwards commuted your time. It's like an arrow went through my heart. My confidence was soaring, and they just slammed to the floor. But I believe that it's not what happens to me that counts the most. It's my response to what happens to me. The things that happen to me, it's my response. My destiny does not depend on what you say about me or what happens to me. It's my reaction to life and to what happens to me. Nobody can determine your destination. You hold it in your hands. And... So I, the lady beside him said, well, he's got merits. He said, I don't care. And then they said, step out. I stepped. I didn't even get to sit down in the chair. He nailed me before I could even sit down. And they said, step out. I stepped out. I came back. And he like literally throwed the paper to me. And I caught it. And I stood there like I was looking at it, but I was watching him. And finally, he looked up from shuffling the papers like, you still here? And I said, sir, I want to thank you for any consideration you may have thought about giving me. The bonds of Christ is greater than anything in this world. How can you be bound by less when you're bound by greater? And so they denied me. And I walked away and I was hurting. But I just smiled. 
didn't let it. They said, you, when I walked back, they said, did you make it? I said, no, I, I didn't make it. Well, what you smiling for? I know something. I know something that you don't know. I got a God that will never forsake me, nor will he ever leave me. And then every year I was eligible to apply to the pro board. So every year I would uh, work real hard, try to achieve something positive, constructive. And so when I went to the pro board, present them something new, something different, show them I'm not staying the same, I'm moving forward. And I would work all year long. And then trying to avoid getting rolled up or locked up or getting in a fight in the bloodiest prison in the nation, having to try to maneuver, then meet somebody that says or do something. And I remember one time what I would have done, I can't do it now. And then I would go up there and they would deny me and talk crazy to me. And I'd think, where is that fella that said that the other day that I didn't like? I said, I'm going to take it out on him. And when I leave there, I said, wait, I can't do that because next time when I come up here, they're going to know what I did. And each year, and I came up with this formula, try plus try equals success and failure doesn't exist as long as I'm trying. I had to come up with something to protect my mind from rejection. And... When I finally went up on the pro board the sixth time and was denied, something broke on the inside of me. And the Lord said to me, he says, you're not going to get out under that formula. Try plus try equals success and failure doesn't exist as long as you're trying. He said, because then you would have something to boast about and I wouldn't be able to use you. You're going to have to trust in me. I went back to that dormitory. I got on my knees and I just draped myself across the bed and there was people walking around. I didn't care how I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm through trying. I'm going to trust in you. I said, and Lord, I no longer want to get out of prison until you say it's time. I said, Lord, when you decide you want to get me out of here, you're going to have to fill out the application because I'm not filling out another application. I said, and Lord, when you decide to get me out of this place, I said, I don't want to stay out just for me, but I want, and nor just for my family, but I want to stay out for the men that I'm going to leave behind me because I want to send back a good report because they say that we're all losers, that God can't do nothing with us, that we're past. And, but I believe that God had brought me to that point to where I became broken and was willing to do the calling that he had on my life. And so for two years, again, I never applied to the pro board. And I was working as a chaplain's clerk. And one day they came in and says, look, we want you to come outside and operate a backhoe in a sensitive area. It was a around administration building and uh, it was cars parked like that and they wanted me to scratch out a place here and on that end and then a car a place on that end and it said enter here 
I thought to enter here, do this one. Then as I exit out, do that one on that side. But the maintenance man says, I want you to come in here and do this one first and then circle around and come back over and do this. I thought, that's not logical. That's not reasonable. Why do, obey those that have rule over you? So I did it. And the whole time I was doing it, I was mumbling, grumbling. And I can tell and look at y'all, y'all don't do that. And uh, so I did that one last, and I come back around, and I got, and I started doing it, and I looked, and there was a white car that said Pro Board. And I thought, look, and then they had this fellow come out, and I recognized him. He had voted for me two, two years ago when I went up the sixth time. And so he didn't recognize me. Uh, he's not used to seeing inmates out alone, unsupervised, on a backhoe. And so I had that backhoe jacked up real high, and as he was approaching, I lifted that bucket and I shook all the dirt out of it because I didn't want none falling in his, on his head. And so I turned that backhoe bucket around like that, headed up real high. And I said, excuse me, sir, are you with the pro board? And he says, yes. I said, I have been up on that pro board six times and been denied. His eyes got big as pizza's. Because I had the backhoe bucket up above his head. And I'd been denied six times. And he just like froze like a deer in headlights. And so I put down the bucket. I said, but sir, you voted for me the last time I went up. And I want to thank you very much. And he said, I did. He was glad he had voted for me. And he walked up to the backhoe and he says, I hadn't seen you in a couple years. Would you? I said, look, y'all denied me six times. I'm trusting in the Lord. I said, when, Lord, when the Lord sees fit to get me out of this place, nobody will be able to stop it. I said, I'm trusting in the Lord. And he asked me three times to reapply to the pro board. And then he went on. And then I went on. I said, wait a minute. After I recognized the divine intervention of God. I hadn't operated equipment in several years. And how's this at the exact hour that I was pulled out of the office to operate this backhoe? And if I'd had my way, I'd done this one first and went over and done that. He'd have came out and I'd have missed him. I said, that's divine intervention. And here was God. I prayed that God would fill out that. Here was God filling out the application. And so I applied and when I went up, this member was the chairman of the pro board, and they voted for me and granted me parole. And I was released in 2001. And when I was in prison, I read, as a man thinketh, so is he. And so I practiced this. And so... I'm released, and I'm so excited. I went to City of Faith in Monroe and did five months there, and I was uh, released. And now I'm the prison coordinator for the state of Louisiana for the United Pentecostal Church. I'm a paid chaplain at Tallulah, Louisiana, and I'm a volunteer chaplain at Angola, where I spent majority of 28 years in. And not too long ago, I went to Angola to death row. 
and I was driving my car, and Angola was 18,000 acres. And as I was uh, going to the death row, I looked, and there was nobody in front of me. And I looked in the rearview mirror. There's nobody behind me. So I slowed down and began to savor the moment. And I passed fields that I once worked in as a young man, picking cotton, working in the fields, in the heat. And I thought, I tried to project my mind back to that young man out there in that field. And if somebody would have came to me and says, don't worry, Doyle, one day you'll be driving down this road, which was dusty then, but now a paved road. You're going to be driving your own car and the air conditioned blasting. I said, yeah, right, you're crazy. But that's how God is. You may think, it's impossible, it's crazy, it cannot happen. But with God, all things are possible. And I have, I have never forgot what that pro board member said to me. You shouldn't be here. You should have got the lecture chair. But how many of us here that shouldn't be here? If it wasn't for the Lord, where would you be? They, I went to New Orleans and I was preaching in this church and the pastor was a doctor and his wife was a lawyer and they brought me to the highest building in New Orleans and her office was up there and she said you could see any direction 50 miles in any direction and they was talking about how beautiful it was and it was beautiful then all of a sudden I said wait a minute I shouldn't be here they said what are you talking about then I told him about the pro board. And I said, I shouldn't be here. And this is beautiful. These sites are beautiful. But what God has did in my life is more beautiful than what my eyes can see. Because if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what will you give? There are some beautiful sights in this world. But there's nothing more beautiful than what he has done in my life. Can you stand? Can you stand? I don't know what your situation is this morning or the circumstances that you're in. But my God is more than able... He's more than able. And I, pray, I prayed that the Lord would give me a wife that loved Jesus. That's all I asked for. And I feel like Solomon, who only prayed for wisdom, and God said, because you asked that, I'm going to give you all of this. If you want to come to the front and pray, you're welcome to come and give him thanks for where he brought you from, what he saved you from. You may not have committed 
the crime that I committed. And you may not have been in prison, but God saved you from that. He saved you from going through those things. Turn your back on me. And he won't turn his back on you.